0: Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the Word this morning. Thank you for your Word. I'm thinking, Lord, about that verse in Hebrews where your Word is like a, a sword and it can cut through like a surgeon's scalpel and show what's really going on inside of us. And I pray that you would do that this morning, in me and in each of us, and that you would do a powerful work, Lord. I praise you for this book of Isaiah. What a treasure chest it has been to us. And so meet us now. Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me your heart. Give me the help and the strength I need, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And what I've seen in my own life and in in others is that many followers of Jesus... It's like you're comfortable with God the Father, you know, understanding God the Father, understanding God the Son, but you're just not so sure what, you know, what to do about God the Holy Spirit. Just can't really figure out, you know, what does the Holy Spirit do, and how does this all work, and it kind of seems mystical and spooky. And, and so what too often happens is that the Holy Spirit ends up being like the neglected you know, member of the Trinity, the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is neglected. And this is tragic, and it's really dangerous if you think about it, because one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help us to know and experience God. Holy Spirit gives us life. He gives us power. He makes this thing real. And if we neglect the work of the Holy Spirit, then we can just end up, well, what else do you have? If you take all that away, you, like, you can think the right things and you can do the right things, but there's no life there. There's no reality there. And this is really close to my heart because was, that was my Christian life, my early years of being a follower of Jesus. To my own shame and my own fault, I just neglected the whole dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so all I ended up doing was, with as much gusto as I could muster, I was believing the doctrines right and I was trying to do the right things. But many of you have probably experienced this. If that's all that you're doing, over time you get, well, my heart just got shriveled up. There was no life there. There was no love there. There was no reality there. But God saved me. Okay, again, and he sent a dear brother who in great love and boldness pointed out what I was doing wrong and God used him, changed me, helped me and he poured out his Holy Spirit upon me and he has done that. I want much, much, much more but he has been doing that since. Again, I've got a long ways to go in this but the point is he saved me from that shriveled up heart neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit condition that I was in. And so that's why I'm so excited about Isaiah chapter 44. Because in this passage, God promises the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and turn there. Isaiah 44. You've got Bibles. We've already asked you to raise your hand if you need one. It's on page 604 in the Bibles that we we just passed out. Isaiah chapter 44, we're working our way through the book of Isaiah. Now here's just an overview of the chapter. I want to walk you through it. Because then we're going to come back and focus on verses 1 through 5, which is the main point. Here's an overview of the whole chapter. Verses 1 through 5, God promises the outpouring of the Spirit. Okay, Then in verses 6 through 8, God tells Israel, here's why you can be absolutely certain that I will do this. It's because every promise and prophecy I've ever made, I have fulfilled. And because I alone am God, no one's going to keep me from doing what I want to do. So verses 6 through 8, that's why they can be absolutely certain that God's going to do that. And then in verses 9 through 20, he wants to have Israel make sure that it's not be, to make sure that they know it's not because of their self-righteousness. It's not because they were so good or so special that God's pouring His Spirit out upon them because they, for most of their history, have made and bowed down to idols. It's an amazing section there in verses 9 through 20 about the wickedness of Israel, which is just like us. Israel has been no more sinful than any of the rest of us. But that's 9 through 20. So then the question is, well, if Israel has sinned that much, if we have sinned that much, how can a holy, just God pour His Spirit then out upon sinful people? And the answer is in verses 21 through 28. It's because God will redeem them, which we know now from New Testament looking back, He's done through the Messiah, dying on the cross, paying for their sins, and as a result of Jesus' death, he will blot out all their sins so that he can pour out his Holy Spirit upon them. So there's the chapter, Isaiah 44. Now the main point is that God will pour his Spirit out, and that's in verses 1 through 5. So let's read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to dig into that section. So Isaiah 44, 1 through 5. But now here. O Jacob, my servant, Israel whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, that's just a term of affection for Israel, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty lands and streams on the dry grounds. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. Okay, so right there in verse three, God promises that he will pour out his Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean that God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit? And to understand that, we've got to be clear on who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of a force or some kind of a power out there. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, He is in himself fully God. You know how the Trinity works, right? God the Father in himself is fully God. God the Son in himself is fully God. God the Spirit in himself is fully God. It's not like you need all three to have there be all of God there. There's a mystery there. But God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is in himself fully God. Personal being, fully God. And his main job is to make God the Father and God the Son real to us in our experience. Think about it like this. Right now, God the Father is in heaven and Jesus the Son is at his right hand. Right? We we all know that. So if the Father and the Son are in heaven and we're here on earth, how can we know them? We could know about the Father and about the Son, but can we really know them and personally experience their presence? See the problem? I thought about it like this. Uh, years ago, I went to, on a missions trip to Europe, and I was there for 10 days, and this was the longest time I'd been away from Jan. And I was, I was just kind of surprised at how hard it was being away from her. I mean, I, I had a little picture of her. That was helpful. A little note she'd written, okay? I could, I could think about her, but a picture and a note and thinking is different from having Jan be there, right? I wanted her. I wanted to know her and to experience her and to have and to be in her presence. I wanted to personally know and experience her. The most important work of the Holy Spirit is he helps you personally know and experience God the Father and God the Son. Now let me show you one scripture which I hope will Illustrate this. Turn to John chapter 6. I'm sorry, 16. John 16. It says page 902 in the Bibles we passed out. John 16, 6 and 7. To set this passage up, imagine that you have been with Jesus personally on the earth for three years, like the disciples had been. You were able to be in his very presence, okay, knowing him. In it experiencing him, face to face, having that real experiential, felt connection with the living Jesus, not just knowing about him but knowing him. And then one day Jesus tells you, "I'm going to leave. I've, I've got to go back to, to the Father. You would rightly be devastated, right? That's what Jesus told the disciples, and that's how they felt. Look at verses six and seven. He says. But because I have said these things to you about his departure, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. How could that be? It's better for you that I'm going to go. You're sad that I'm going to go. It's better that I go. Why? It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the disciples had known Jesus personally, face to face, for three years. Jesus says, it's better for you that I'm going to go because I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and part of what that means is that the Holy Spirit will make Jesus real to them in their experience. They will know Jesus personally. They will experience both God the Father and God the Son by the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's better is because the Holy Spirit does not have the time, space, limitations that Jesus had. So Peter could experience Jesus by the Spirit when Peter was in Jerusalem, at the same time as Paul could experience Jesus by the Holy Spirit when Paul's 100 miles away in Antioch. So Jesus says, I'm going to leave. You're devastated, but this is better for you because I'm going to send the helper. He will make me real to you in your experience like you've experienced me here on the earth. Now with that in mind, turn back to Isaiah 44. This is what God's talking about here. I will pour my spirit Spirit upon your offspring. What God is talking about here is that the day is coming in Israel's history when God's going to pour out salvation upon vast number, the nation of Israel, an outpouring of salvation. And what that means is that God's going to change their hearts, he's going to pay for their sins through the Messiah's death, he's going to give them repentance and faith, they will turn back to God, they will put their trust in the Messiah, Jesus, and then he will pour his Holy Spirit out upon them. So at that point, God is going to take, the Father is going to take the third person of the Trinity and pour the third person of the Trinity out upon Israel. Pour out the third person of the Trinity who is fully God in himself, and the third person of the Trinity will come and indwell them. And they will know God personally. Not just know about God, they will know God. They won't just know that they've been forgiven, they will experience forgiveness They won't just know that God loves them, they will experience God's very love for them. They won't just believe that God exists, they will have a first-hand experience of God by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you a quote here from Charles Spurgeon. This is how he described this 200 years ago. Charles Spurgeon, preacher in England, one of my heroes, listen to this quote. Some of you are doubting. Really, is that what the Holy Spirit does? Check this out. Spurgeon. This is one of his sermons. Ah, he says. We got this up here? Oh, good. You think you cannot tell whether you have the Holy Spirit or not? If I were touched by electricity, could I tell whether I was or not? What's the answer? Yes, you can tell. Okay, not a trick question. I suppose I should. The shock would be strong enough to make me know where I stood. So, if I have God within me, if I have the deity tabernacling inside me, if I have God, the Holy Ghost, resting in my heart and making a temple of my body, do you think I shall know it? What's the answer? Yes! Spurgeon, 200 years ago, the Holy Spirit makes God real in our experience. And when he does that, We know it. We know it. Now, here in Isaiah 44, he also gives us four results that will happen as a result of this outpouring. First of all, there will be quenched heart thirst. Okay, look right there in verse 3. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. When the Holy Spirit makes God the Father and Jesus the Son real in your experience, all your heart thirsts, all of them, all your heart thirsts, will be completely, overflowingly, fully satisfied. Second result, complete surrender, verses four and five. They shall spring up among the grass, all these converts, spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. When your heart is completely satisfied in God the Father and Jesus the Son, you will gladly surrender your life completely to him because he is everything to you at that point. And so, like, gossip will lose its pull. And sexual sin will lose its allure, right? Money will lose its power because you're experiencing God. Complete surrender. We will say, we are the Lord's. Third result. There will be heartfelt prayer, verse 5. Keep going to verse 5. A little bit of a cryptic verse. Here's what it says. Another will call on the name of Jacob. Okay, well, a couple of commentators that I looked at, I think they're right. What, what they say this means is that Gentiles will join Israel in calling on the name of God. That's the picture of calling on the name of Jacob, Jacob's God. And so what this means is that how many Gentiles are here? Gentiles are going to experience this as well. Gentiles are going to join Israel in calling upon the God of Jacob. Heartfelt prayer will result from this outpouring of the Spirit. One last result, public witness. I think that's the point of the rest of verse 5. And another will write on his hand, picture the Lord's, you're writing that on your hand, and name himself by the name of Israel. Israel. So these, I think these are like public acts. It's like you're going to say, the Lord's, okay? And you're going to say, I'm naming God, right? I I name myself by the name of Israel. I'm joining God's people. When God pours his spirit out upon you, and you know and experience God firsthand in the person of Jesus, you'll want to do an initial public offering, right? IPO, you want to go public, right? You want to tell people about who he is. You want to let people know that you belong to him. You want to share that he's your treasure. There will be public, bold witness going on. Okay, so here's these four results that all come from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were Israel, if you are an Israelite, hearing Isaiah speak this, hearing God through Isaiah promise this, you'd want to know when will this happen. Because this had never happened in Israel's history. There had been droplets of outpourings of the spirit, but the vast majority of Israel, if you 've read your Old Testament, the vast majority of Israel were godless and idolatrous, just like all the rest of us have been. We 're no better. it 's not an anti-Semitic thing here. Israel was very sinful, just like you, and just like me. And so if you were an Israelite hearing this promise, you 'd be thinking, "Oh Father, when's this going to happen? When's this going to take place? When will you do this?" And so the history unfolds. Isaiah wrote these verses around 700 B.C. And the next big event in Israel's history was that they were taken, slaves, to Babylon in exile and were there for 70 years as punishment for their idolatry. Remember, you've read that. And then after 70 years, God worked through Cyrus. We're going to look at this next week and brought them back. And so they, re- they returned from Babylon but not pouring of the Holy Spirit yet. Then they built the temple Rebuilt the temple, okay, Jerusalem restored, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. Centuries went by, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. But then one day, there were these rumors about this wild guy out in the desert wearing like camel skin clothes, not like a camel skin suit, like just like clothes, you know, and eating grasshoppers. And and what he was preaching was the Messiah is about here. And when he comes, he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And so the buzz started. Oh, he's the Messiah, the Messiah. People are getting baptized, getting ready. And then Jesus came a few weeks later. Came, and he lived, and he loved, and he taught, and he healed, and he forgave, but no outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. And then he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, but no outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. But then he said to his followers, I'm going to leave, but now you go to Jerusalem and wait, and the Father will pour out the promise of the Holy Spirit upon you. And so they went, Jerusalem, waited, prayed, and on the day of Pentecost, like had never happened in history, God took the third person of the Holy Spirit, fully God, personal, fully God, and he poured the Holy Spirit out upon the believers, and the Holy Spirit indwelt them. Electricity. And like they'd never experienced before, they knew God firsthand. They knew his Holy Son, Jesus, firsthand. God poured out his Holy Spirit upon them on the day of Pentecost. Here's the good news. This isn't just something that we can look back wistfully. Wouldn't that have been awesome? The New Testament teaches that this is what God does for every believer. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans 5. Verses 3 through 5. This is page 942 in the Bibles that we passed out. Romans 5, 3 through 5. It's a very powerful passage, and there's a number of them, but I just want to show you a couple truths from this passage about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5. Very encouraging passage about suffering and trials, and a very instructive passage about the outpouring of the Spirit. Here's what Paul writes. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces something. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And we see this, when we see this growing righteous character in us, that assures us in terms of our hope. Character produces hope. We know heaven's there, it's mine. And this hope of heaven, hope does not put us to shame. And as you will never be disappointed putting your hope in beholding God's glory forever in heaven, why will you not be put to shame? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know heaven's real because you've had a taste of God's love poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit now. That's what he's saying. There's a couple of observations I love that here Paul describes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as God's love has been poured into your heart. This is powerful. Too many followers of Jesus settle for just knowing that God loves them. Now that's important. Rock solid foundation. The book says it. No matter how I'm feeling, that's the foundation I stand on, right? But don't settle just for knowing that God loves you. The work of the Holy Spirit is God was to take His actual love and pour His actual love in your heart so that you feel it. It's like what Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we would be rooted and grounded in His love. And I tell you, just a little taste I had of this, a little bit on uh, Thursday night. Thursday night. Just had some burdens, had some fears, and just crying out to the Lord. And, and, and the Lord just pours His love into your heart. I don't want to overstate it. It's not like one of these saints you'd read about with these big powerful, you know, where the angels are singing and then everything's going on. But it was just a real sense God loves me. And you know, you've experienced this. That's all you need, isn't it? When you sense God's love for you, that's all you need. It's just like, okay, then. Okay. So. That's what the outpouring of the Spirit includes, is not just knowing that God loves you, but it's moving from that to actually experiencing God's love for you. And this is not a one-time event. The the Greek verb, has been poured out and has been given, shows that this is something that recurs again again and again and again and again and again and again and again. It's not just something that happens at the beginning of your Christian life. It's not something that's constant throughout your Christian life. This is something that recurs again, and again, and again, okay? And then notice, Paul assumes that all his readers had experienced this. Did you catch that? He's not arguing that this could happen to them. He's arguing on the basis of the fact that this has already happened to them. If this hasn't happened to them, then his argument about why their hope won't disappoint doesn't work. The only reason the argument for why hope doesn't disappoint is because they've all experienced this. They'd be nodding their heads as this book of Romans is being read in their little church gathering. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what's happened. Paul's assuming they've all experienced this because if you're trusting Jesus Christ, this is yours. This is yours. God gives this to you. The outpouring of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit experienced in these ways. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit that is ours. Okay, so how do we experience this? What do we do? Okay, I, I hope right now what, there should be nobody here feeling like, I got that one dialed in. You know, I got this area totally, you know, sewn up. No, no, no. If, you, if you're saying that, you haven't at all. <laughs> Let's talk afterwards. Earn this prayer here for you. We all should be saying, Oh, I, I, I want more. I want more. I want more. And that, that's the biblical approach. So, how do we experience this? We just wait. There's steps God gives us in the scriptures. It's not like, take these three steps and all of a sudden some amazing thing is going to happen. These steps don't force God's hand in any way. The picture I have is these steps open the door for God in his good time and to the degree that he seems best to do what he believes is wisest. They, they open the door. So these steps do, they just, they just open the door. And so what are the steps? First of all, uh, Fully surrender to Jesus Christ. Okay? Sin that you're aware of, you don't need to dig deep. You, you know what your sins are. Sin that you're aware of, you've got to surrender it to the Lord. Surrender gossip to the Lord. Sexual lust to the Lord. You've you, you got to come surrender bitterness to the Lord. Surrender to Jesus Christ. And then you need to lay aside, we need to lay aside all, any, any thought of self-righteousness, any thought that I have something here that, that makes me deserving of what God's going to do? Did somebody share a scripture this morning about this? Or in worship, somebody mentioned something about this, but the only way we can come before God is understanding that we are great sinners saved by a great Savior. Okay, but that's who we are. We, we, don't, we don't bring anything of our own righteousness to the Lord. Just to strip away any vestige of that completely, you've got to be humbled before the Lord in in needing mercy to receive anything from the Lord, including the outpouring of the Spirit. And then third, we need to pray earnestly. Paul prays this for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. This is what he's praying for, for them. A greater work of the Holy Spirit, more of the outpouring of the Spirit upon them. Then the fourth step is, since the sword of the Spirit is what? What's the sword of the Spirit? The word of God, different metaphor here. Set your heart upon the truth of God and his holy son Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. Now there's lots of ways you can do that. That, that should be the aim of your time as you, if you spent him every day, I hope you do, meditating on God's word. Uh, some of us did this Friday morning. Okay, some of the guys from my home, group we met together at Starbucks down by Bernal and one of the brothers was struggling and we were sharing scripture together and God poured out his spirit upon that struggling brother right there as we were all sharing scripture together. This can happen corporately together. This can happen as you're singing scripture packed worship songs, right? Like we were experiencing this morning. This can happen all, but the word is, in, is the milieu. The word is the context for it. So it's fully surrender, laying aside any self righteousness, earnest prayer, and setting our hearts in the truth of God. And what'll happen when we do that? Let me just give you an illustration. David Brainerd, okay, one of my heroes, you've heard me talk about him before, who was David Brainerd, missionary to the American Indians. He wrote, this is a fascinating story, he was, by the way, engaged to Jonathan Edwards' daughter, those of you who are Jonathan Edwards fans. Um, In his 20s, he wrote, he was keeping a journal, not for publication. He died of tuberculosis from his hardships that he was experiencing with the cold and the food. He died in his late 20s, and his... Would-be father-in-law was going through his stuff and found this journal, not meant for publication, and here's what he wrote. I love this quote. Here's what he says. He wrote this news in his 20s, don't forget. I had been trying to pray for half an hour, but felt very dull. I love that line. Anybody else ever experienced that? Okay. I've been trying to pray for half, half an hour of trying to pray. I mean, give me two or three minutes. It's like, well, what's, you know, what's on TV, right? Or what, what's in the refrigerator, right? So here David Brainerd, trying to pray, feeling dull for half an hour. But then, as I continued to pray, suddenly, God broke in upon me with a revelation of his glory. I did not see anything physically, But my soul saw God like I had never seen him before. I rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory to see such a God, such a glorious being. And I was inwardly pleased that he should be God overall, forever and ever. Can you feel what was happening in his heart? My soul was captivated. And delighted with the excellency, loveliness, greatness, and other perfections of God, I continued in this state of inward joy, peace, and astonishment until near dark. Whoa! Now, don't think that you're all going to have the exact same experience, okay? Uh, but let this raise the bar for what you might experience, all right? Because David Brainerd, I mean, was he like, he had been trying to pray for half an hour and feeling dullness. (laughs) Like, that's me. I can do that. I can pray for 30 minutes and feel dullness. Right? So I'm, I'm qualified for this just like you are. And look at what God did. This isn't what we'll experience all the time, but this is what we can experience much of the time. Much of the time. Okay, so what does this mean for us? First of all, for those of you here who, who aren't yet trusting Jesus Christ, okay, just a word to you. Glad you're here. We're honored to be able to have, have a role in your spiritual pilgrimage. We want to help you come to know Christ. So you're not quite there yet. okay. But I want you to see from this, this is what will happen when you do, finally, turn from whatever else you've been trusting for your security, for your satisfaction, and you turn and you put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior and your heart-satisfying treasure, God will pour His Spirit out upon you. He will do that. And so becoming a Christian doesn't just mean, well, okay, I believe these things are true and then I start trying to be really a good person. God will come into your life. By the Holy Spirit, He will indwell you. You will know God and His Holy Son, Jesus. It's not like 24 hours of nirvana, or not nirvana, we don't believe in that. It's 24 hours of, uh, of, of uh, you know, bliss. There's ups and there's downs, okay? But you will have times tasting at least some of what David Brainerd was tasting here. You will. Now isn't that a powerful reason why you'd want to come to know God through Jesus Christ? Because when you do, you will really come to know him. Not just words, you'll come to know him. then a word to those of you who are trusting Christ. Let me just ask you, have you been neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Easy to do. Easy to do. How earnestly and how expectantly have you been seeking this work of the Holy Spirit? Let me illustrate it like this. Get this out here a little more. Okay, it's down here. Okay, now, this is your heart, okay? And some of us picture the outpouring of the Holy Spirit kind of like this. This is like a medicine dropper, okay? So some of us picture the outpouring of the Holy Spirit kind of like this. See that? You didn't see that? Exactly, okay? Because that's all that it was. See if you can see this one. Didn't see that one either, did you? Okay, I could see it, I could hear it, but some of us picture that that's what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is. That's like about as much as we would experience, because, and that shows, that's the level of earnestness and the level of expectancy that we have in terms of what God might do, right? That's what our earnestness and expectancy shows. We think that's what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit's pictured like. That is not what God says in Isaiah 44. Here's what God does. Okay, he pours, his Holy Spirit out upon us. Did you all see that? I liked doing that. Let's do that again. Okay? This is called pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us. Okay? Now, in case you didn't catch it, let's just contrast it again. Okay? All right? We got this. Beep. And then we got this. God says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit. So here's my question. How earnestly are you asking for and seeking this work of the Holy Spirit? How expectantly are you asking for and seeking this work of the Holy Spirit? Now, why is this so important? It's because this work of the Holy Spirit is the power for everything. This is how you... Garden City Church people are going to be able to minister downtown. This is how. The power of the Holy Spirit. This is how you Bernal 101 people are going to be able to advance the gospel of Bernal 101 or Willow Glen or Blossom Valley or whatever. This is how. It's not just that we have these mystical reveries. We're kind of sitting in our prayer closet and this is awesome. I love the Christian life. And then, no, no, no. This will send you into the streets with the gospel. This will open up your checkbook for people in Japan who are struggling right now. This will let you say no to pornography. Oh, man, let's just do that one just for fun here. Let's just, no to pornography. I love that. See, this is where the power is. This is why this is so important. It's not just so that we all are kind of getting this buzz. We're going to go to the Caucasus area to be Bible translators or to Central Asia to risk being imprisoned or to your next-door neighbor to risk being shunned with the gospel. This is crucial, church. It's crucial. (laughs) But too many Christians today, we've developed a theology that thinks the right things and does the right things, but there's no life. There's no reality. And I wonder what's wrong. This is what's wrong. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us right now. And I want to ask God to right now do something that will start now... And flow through this week. I'm asking God for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit upon us. Alright? So let's pray. I just want to pray through those four steps. So Father, first of all, thank you. That through the cross, through Jesus paying for our sins, you, the holy God, can pour out the Holy Spirit upon unholy people. So we love you for that. What a precious gift. The outpouring of the Spirit. So, Lord, I pray right now, help us to completely surrender our lives to you. Now, you know what what that means. You know what you're struggling to surrender. Surrender it to him. Trust him with it. Look at Jesus Gethsemane love for you. You can trust him with that. Surrender it to him right now. Lay it down. Just give it to him. And then secondly, Trip away any vestige of self righteousness, thinking you're good enough or you deserve this. You're not and you don't. But he promises, because of his mercy, to give it to undeserving, unworthy people. So humble yourself as a needy recipient, or need, you need mercy, a needy beggar needing mercy. Humble yourself before the Father. And then, third, Pray earnestly. So God, I pray for me and I pray for us. You promised Luke 11, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Work, Lord, in powerful ways. Pour your love into hearts now and this week by the working of your Spirit. Lord, do that. And let us set our hearts upon your word. We know that the sword of the Spirit is the word, Lord. To set our hearts upon the truth of who Jesus is. And then we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would meet us, make yourself real to us through the Scriptures. And then, Lord, as you pour out your Spirit, unleash us into downtown San Jose, Garden City Church people, Bernal 101, Willow Glen, wherever it might be, Lord. Release us into our neighborhoods, workplaces, to care for the poor, to go to the unreached people groups for the glory of your name. So I pray that you would do that, starting right now and then continuing this afternoon as we seek you tonight, tomorrow, and this week. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.